Good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Last week we began a, a brand new series, a shorter series entitled Mixtape. Remember the concept of the mixtape was you would take uh, some of the different tapes or some of the different songs that you had and, and you would try to smash them together, put them on one particular tape. And you would uh, take a lot of effort to go from tape to tape, certainly a whole lot more effort uh, than now. Uh, we've gone from tapes to CDs, from CDs to digital MP3s on our phones. You might have Apple Music or Spotify Music or Pandora and access to thousands and thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of songs, uh, merely at the tap of a button or the tap of a screen. Uh, but a number of years ago, certainly, uh, you had the mixtape, and the concept was, let me take some of my favorite songs and put them together, or let me take some of the songs that mean a lot to me, put them together, and give them to someone. And so the concept of this is we're looking at a handful of scriptures that I believe God would have for you and have for me as we say, here are some things God is looking for you and I to do and to follow. So last week we looked at James chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 looking about how do we get closer to God. We talked about giving up by yielding and surrendering to him. We talked about standing up, how we're to stand against and to resist the enemy living different than the world around us. We talked about moving up, drawing closer to God. And God's word says that as you draw near, as you draw closer to God, we receive the promise he will draw near to us. And then we talked about cleaning up. James said to confess our sins, we're to live wholeheartedly for him. So today, if you got your copy of God's Word, I invite you to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Now, in the beginning, certainly, of the Word of God, uh, we read through Genesis, we see the creation of man, and, and we see all of these men and women that uh, maybe you've heard back from days in childhood and in Sunday school but we look at the exodus, how God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and God removed them and released them out of that. And as they were delivered, even in the process of God delivering them, the Israelites, they, they kept looking back to Egypt. Oh, if only we could be in Egypt. Pharaoh's army chased them, and God delivered them. They kept looking back to Egypt. And then God provided food. They thought, if we were in Egypt, we'd have some food. And God provided room service. Remember that? Manna. Manna from heaven, six days a week. And then, oh, they were just, they were complaining about the manna. So God brought meat and God brought quail. God, God brought water out of a rock. Incredible. And yet, the Israelites continued to look back, saying, if only we had what we had then. And so they were wandering in the wilderness 40 years. And in our text, we're here in Deuteronomy. God is now preparing his people for the promised land. God is going to bring them into the land he has promised. And we're going to certainly, you can read about that in Joshua and beyond. 
But here in Deuteronomy, there's some, some final words of instruction and encouragement. And so God, through his servant Moses, is giving some instruction. Here are some actions. Here are some things that God would want in you. And so if you take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12, I'm reading in the ESV. It says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And he goes to share what those things are. Maybe you've got some similar thoughts. You're wondering, what does God require? What does God want? What does he desire in my life? Here's the Israelites. God's looking to bring them into the promised land. God's got blessings in store, but he's saying, here's some things I desire in you. I believe as God will look to us individually or God will look to us as a church body, he would say, here are some things that I desire to be in you and through you. We're going to take a look at a handful of actions that I believe God desires for us. Because it says, what does the Lord your God require of you but to, and these next couple of verses, he's going to lay out five different thoughts or actions. So follow with me as we walk through these couple of verses and look at some actions. I believe God desires of you, God desires of me, God desires of us as a church. So first of all, in verse 12, it says, what does God desire of you? What does God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to fear him? Now, I know right off the bat, you're thinking that sounds like an odd request. That sounds like an odd action. In fact, I'm going to need some feedback from you. So on the count of three, when you hear three, I want you just to yell out what you are a little fearful or afraid of. Okay, so I'm probably going to hear things like heights or spiders or centipedes or dark or something like that. Okay, so think about what it is that scares you that's, that you're afraid of. And on the count of three, shout it out. Are you ready? One. Two, three. I heard some of those things that I was anticipating, uh, spiders or snakes. How many of you maybe shouted out snakes? You don't like to see those slithering around. Or heights. For some, we, when we think about fear, maybe you think about some of those scary movies that are out there. I mean, it, and it's not just around Halloween. It's year-round uh, there are things that are put out that you, you see just that short commercial on television. You think, what in the world is this? The goal is to scare you. The, the goal is to put fear inside of you. For some of you, being up here and holding this thing, talking in front of other people. How many of you said public speaking? Right? How many of you, that was your least favorite part of school or college? You had to go up and give a, a report or a book report or, you know, and you, you stood up there. Maybe you were looking down at your paper the whole time, not wanting to have eye contact with anyone. People fear public speaking. We fear the future. We fear death, our mortality. So there's a lot of different things we fear. And so we read this and it says, God desires or God requires that we fear him and our thought thinks about fear, afraid, terror. That's not what God's speaking about here. God's not saying, I want you to be terrorized of me. He's not saying, I want you to be afraid of me. There's a lot of things that are scareful. <laughs> scareful. 
That's a brand new word when you take fear and scared and put them together. Fearful, scareful. Just a few days ago, I continued my husbandly duty uh, doing one of the things that was an invisible part of my vows. Kim and I were getting ready for bed, and it's normally not me who sees this. I mean, Kim, and, and she's trained the girls well, they are eagle eyes when it comes to creepy crawly things in the house. But it happened to be in my vision, in my sight, and I happened to see something long and dark scurrying down the door trim to our bedroom. And for some of you, you know, centipedes, maybe you shouted out centipedes. You don't like centipedes because they're fast and they crawl and sometimes they're on the ceiling and you don't want them to drop on you. And you got to take care of them because you never know where they'll end up. Are they going to crawl up the wall? Or are they going to, you know, jump onto the bed with you? And so I, I rushed. I, I grabbed some toilet paper and I helped that centipede meet his maker or her maker. Yes, there was an Amen. And so whatever you and I are fearful or scareful of, feel free to use that this week. That's not exactly what God's speaking about. We think, you know, God wants us to be fearful or terrorized. No. Sometimes when people think about fearing God, they believe God is up in heaven and he's ready to pounce on you when you do wrong. It's almost as if he's that cosmic cop in the sky. He's looking out. He sees everything we do. And the moment we do something wrong, that fist from heaven's going to come and just pound us into oblivion. It's that mindset that many have, and it's fear. It's terror of God. But that's not what the fear of the Lord is. It carries with it the idea of awe or respect or reverence for. So God's not saying, I want you to cringe at the very thought of my name. No. God's not saying, I want you to be so ooky spooky when it comes to thinking about me the same way you think about a centipede or spider or a snake. No. God says, I want you to have an awe and a reverence and a respect for me to fear the Lord your God. Not to be afraid of him, but to reverence him he's a holy god he he desires our reverence it's the attitude that we show when we display to god we love and respect and reverence him for who he is and for what he's done it's a pure and a holy fear of reverence of not terror of god Author Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when you do not fear God, you fear everything else. It's true. A healthy fear, a healthy reverence for, a healthy respect of, a healthy awe about who God is, about what he's done, the creation of his, his hands, all that he's done, there is a fear of the Lord. And so Moses is carrying these thoughts to the Israelites as they're preparing to get into the promised land. And I think you and I would do well as well that we would have a healthy fear, a healthy reverence for and respect and an awe of who God is. 
Second, we continue in verse 12. He says, not just to fear the Lord your God, but to walk in all his ways. He wants us to walk. How many of you can walk? A lot of, a lot of people can walk physically. He's saying not just about the physical action of walk, but spiritually, he says, uh, to walk in all his ways. Uh, whose ways? Whose ways? His ways. Oh, that's tough, isn't it? Walking in his ways. Because how many of us, we like our way? I mean, if you're honest this morning, you say, I kind of like things a certain way, and that way is mine. Just, just raise your hand. Okay, I, I knew we'd have some. In fact, that tends to relate to most of us. We like things our way. Whether that comes to in the house, whether that comes to the job, the workplace, the community, or school, we like things a certain way, and that certain way is ours. That's our human nature. But the instruction is not to do what you want, but to walk in His ways. We like to seek our way. We like to get our way. We like to go our own way. You've seen that from little ones all the way up to not so little ones right i mean when it comes to little ones particularly if they're a toddler they want their way how many toddlers do you find who stop and pause and look at another toddler or look at somebody else and say oh let's just do what you want to do and a lot of them don't speak anyway but you know it's probably in their mindset Typically with little ones and toddlers, if it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If it's anywhere around here, it's mine, mine, mine. I want my way. And we laugh and chuckle about our little ones. And then we grow up and we're not so little, but sometimes we have that very same thought. I want to I do things my way. God's instructing us not just to walk, but to walk in His way surrender our way to his because his way is the best and sometimes that's a challenge right surrendering submitting we talked a little bit about that last week but it carries with it this idea of imitating him walking in his way means i'm gonna do what he does i'm gonna imitate him maybe you have been imitated or done some imitation. There's comedians who will do voices and impersonations of other people. Uh, maybe, maybe your family has impersonated you or imitated you, right? They, you know, or maybe it's a coworker or somebody at school, and you begin talking, you start using your hands a lot, and, and that person will start using their hands a lot just like you. Or they'll pull out some interesting kind of unique words that they say, and pretty soon that other person's saying those words back to you. You ever been imitated? Happens sometimes in our house. Even when our girls were little, they'd sometimes imitate, and when they were little, put some spaghetti on their chin, and then look and say, I'm just like daddy. I got a little something right here I still haven't shaved off yet. Whether it's about how we look or how we sound or how we speak, we often will imitate somebody else. And God here, he's saying, don't imitate other people. Walk in my way. And that's, that's foreign. That's contrary to most of us because 
we like our ways and we will sing about our ways. And it's, it's not just from songs years ago. Frank Sinatra had a very popular song before my time, but I've heard of it. He sang, I did it my way. Doesn't matter what you listen to, pop or rock or country or rap. It's all about doing our own thing, what I want to do. And God's saying, listen, you've got to walk, but walk in my way. We're to imitate him. In other words, get as close to him as you can. Do what he does. Say what he says. Live as he lives. Walk in his ways. But also, did you catch that short three-letter word before his? Maybe you missed it. It says, to walk in all his ways. Oh, boy. Not this again, right? All. It means every bit of, every part of, completely everything. Walk in all his ways. You and I, many times, we're pretty good at walking in some of his ways, right? Jesus, he says, we're to walk in all of his ways. Not just the, the ones we've already got down. Man, you guys are here, you're worshiping. You've, you, hopefully you brought a Bible or you brought a, a tablet or you brought a, a phone that's got the Bible app. So you're following in in God's word and maybe you've sung and maybe you've prayed. And, and so we're doing some good things that God's talking about. Those are some ways. But God's saying, I want you to walk in all all of my ways, including some of those things we haven't quite figured out yet, that we've maybe not been as successful in putting into practice. You read that, and it talks about loving your neighbor, and you think, oh, how do I love them? Walk in all of his ways. Not just the ones we've already got down. Not just the ones that, that we're kind of succeeding in. We're to walk in all of his ways. And that means publicly as well as privately. It, it's a little easier on a Sunday to come in in a public setting and maybe carry a copy of God's word and for a handful of hours on a Sunday morning to walk in his ways. As we're gathered with some other people who love and serve God to walk in his ways. But Privately, are we walking in his ways when nobody's watching the same as we're trying to walk in his way when there's other people or church people or godly people around? In other words, are we walking in his ways on Monday the same as we're walking in his ways on a Sunday? It tends to be a little easier when we're around some other Christian people, when we're around others who are loving and serving God. But what if... The household is not entirely Christian. What if the school is not entirely Christian? What if the workplace is not entirely Christian? How are we walking then? So the encouragement is we're walking in God's ways, but he says to walk in all of his ways. Some challenging actions for you and I to fear God in awe and reverence and then to walk in all of his ways. Thirdly, as we continue in verse 12, he says, we are to love him, to love him. God's desiring that we would love him wholeheartedly. Now, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 10, just a few chapters earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, to love the Lord your God with 
all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. And Jesus would quote and use some of that in the New Testament and add in mind, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's all of us wholeheartedly. We're not just to love God with a a little piece, a little part of us, but our entire lives, every part of who we are. Are we loving God, loving him wholeheartedly, loving him unconditionally? Well, there's a a challenging one. Because many times you and I do pretty good at loving, but sometimes our love is conditional. Would you admit that or understand that sometimes our love for one another is conditional? You do something good for me and I love you. You do something mean to me and I'm not so loving anymore, right? Sometimes our love is conditional. Now you say, well, well, God does good things and you're right, he does. But here's sometimes how we respond. When God does a blessing, when God heals our body, we say, thank you, Lord. I love you. You are so incredible and awesome and faithful. And then when maybe we pray and God seemingly doesn't answer that prayer, maybe our our love for him kind of wavers, a little more conditional. Oh, thank you, God, for your provision in my finances. God, you are awesome. You are incredible. I'm going to tell everybody about you. Maybe the next month, maybe we don't have quite the miraculous miracle of provision as the month before. And maybe our love for God's a little more conditional. The encouragement is, are we loving God wholeheartedly, unconditionally, or are we just loving him when he does something or when he answers a prayer? I believe God's answered prayers in this place. And you would probably raise your hand and say, yes, God has answered some prayers. He's healed my body over the years. He's provided over the years. But chances are good. You've not had an answered prayer every hour of every day of every week of every month. Wouldn't that be awesome? God does answer prayers. But chances are he doesn't answer every single one. So what is our love like? Is it only that we love God when he blesses, when he heals, when he provides? Or do we have this unconditional love? God, you are so incredible. You've cleansed and forgiven me. In the midst of the challenges that I face, I still love you. I'm thankful for forgiveness of sins. And God, some of the challenges or heartaches or struggles or difficulties, I'm still going to love you and serve you. We are to love him wholeheartedly, love him unconditionally. Again, the Israelites, they were a, what have you done for us lately, God? Released out of Egypt. And they were looking back. Oh, back in Egypt, we had this. God saved them from Pharaoh and his army. Well, back in Egypt, we had food. God gave this. Well, back in Egypt, we had leeks. I don't know about you. I would not be all for a diet of leeks. They're always looking at what they didn't have rather than what God was providing and blessing them with. Let's think about ourselves. How are we responding to God? The encouragement is, God, I'm going to love you. 
I'm going to love you wholeheartedly. I'm going to love you unconditionally, no matter what I face, because your love for me doesn't change. That's powerful. Sometimes our love one for another, it's, have you done something for me? Have you been mean to me? And our love for one another sometimes goes up and down. God loves you. He's crazy about you. He's given his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. As we're taking a look here, the encouragement is to love God. It is a choice to love him. Now, what's the term? We hear it a lot when it comes to love in our culture. It's called falling in love, right? You've heard the phrase? I'm falling in love. I fell in love with him or her. Falling? Falling tends to be associated with accidents, right? How many of you have ever fallen recently in a store against the shelf? It's an accident, right? I mean, when we fall, we trip, and it's something that we're not anticipating, and we say, oh, I fell. In other words, it's an accident. And we use that same word when we talk about love. Oh, I fell in love with them. It's as if we say, oops, I couldn't help myself. There's an, there's an aspect sometimes of how you meet a friend or how you meet a special someone, but that love, one for another, it, it's part of our will. It's part of our choice. It's part of our decision. You and I have a choice to love God. You don't have a choice to love one another, even when sometimes they're not the most nice one to another. Still our choice, right? God's given us freedom of choice. Are we going to follow through and love God? Certainly, it seems easier to us as humans. When things are going well, it's a little easier to have a, our love for God. But the encouragement is to fear God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him. That's the fourth action he's giving us. The end of verse 12 is to serve him. He says, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's, that's to the very deep inner being and core of who we are, how we act and think and how we express ourselves. We're going to serve him with all that is within us. A little bit later in the book of Joshua, as they're preparing this process, Joshua then is challenging the people, how are you going to serve him? And a familiar scripture maybe some of you have heard or memorized, Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose you this day whom you will, whom you will serve. But Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve. We're going to serve after and follow and commit to the Lord. Now, we might not have some of the same temptations of foreign gods, but there are a lot of different things that maybe would be termed gods that come in and, and draw our attention away from him. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to follow? Who are you dedicating your life to? Are we focused on self or are we about serving God, living for him? If we're wanting to serve God, we've got to figure out what is it that he desires? What does he want? How are we going to live to serve him as opposed to living to serve self, self-centered? 
Now, in the, the New Testament, we see different things about service is that God has gifted us and given gifts and talents and abilities, not just to be able to serve God, but to serve other people. Unfortunately, many times we can be about self-service, doing things that would please or serve us. The encouragement here is to serve God. Again, it's the all, all of your heart, all of your soul. So he gives us these actions to fear, to walk, to love, to serve. And finally, verse 13, what's the final action? It's to keep. He says, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. All of the things that God gives to us, all of these instructions, all of these actions he's seeking for us to live out, it's for our good. So to keep, maybe the version or translation you're reading might talk about obeying or observing. There's that other four-letter word that we don't like very well obey to obey to do what god says or here to keep his commandments keep his statutes if we are to keep the commands and instructions of god's word we've got to know what's in god's word to be able to read and study and learn and understand here's how i'm to live here's how i'm to keep observe follow and obey Jesus, in the New Testament, John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey or keep my commandments. It doesn't do any good to say, God, I love you. I love you wholeheartedly, and I love you unconditionally. I'm just not going to do what you say. Part of our love, part of our following, part of obedience is doing what he says. You've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. We can say that we love. We can say we love God. We can say we love others. But sometimes our actions will tell a different story. We might say one thing, but our actions contradict ourselves. And so God, through Moses, is speaking to the Israelites and I believe giving some insight for you and I as well. Here's a handful of actions he's saying to keep, to obey. If we love God and we're wanting to serve God, we're then going to keep his commands. We're going to do what he says. Unfortunately, many times we can second guess or question God. I mean, wasn't that from the very beginning, the, the enemy through the serpent came to Adam and Eve and, and would basically say, well, did God really say this? Well, maybe not. I don't really have to do that or I don't really have to do this. Getting us to second guess or question what it is that God said. Does God's word really say this? Eh. That's old-fashioned and outdated. We're in a different day and age and culture, so I'm going to live how I want to live. It's not about keeping our desires. It's about keeping, observing, and obeying God's commandments, God's statutes. What does God's word have to say? God's words talk about repentance, turning from sin, turning to God. Let's obey. 
God's word, in many cases, talks about forgiveness. Thankful that God forgives us and hopefully that we can forgive others. We are to obey. And scripture after scripture after scripture in the word of God, what does God's word say? How are we to keep and observe and obey it? We've got to get into God's word to know that. Let me ask you, when it comes to keeping, when it comes to observing, when it comes to obeying God and his word, how do we do it? Do we do it thankfully, gratefully, energetically, or do we do it a little bit grudgingly or reluctantly? You ever had to do something you really didn't want to do, but you did it because someone asked you to? Back when you were young, you were mean to a brother or a sister, and mom or dad says, tell them you're sorry. And what followed was the most insincere couple of moments in your life, right? You stood in front of the person you were super mad at, and you spoke the words you grudgingly wanted to share. I'm sorry. When it comes to obeying God, do we do so because we want to do so? Or do we do so grudgingly? Well, I guess I gotta. The encouragement is to keep the commands and statutes of the Lord. But he says, I'm commanding, I'm giving these instructions not to try to pat myself on the back. He says, I'm giving them for your good. When you and I follow what's in his word, it's for our good. When you raise kids... Many times you give instructions. Here's certain things you can do. Here's certain things you can't. Here's certain things we'll allow you to do. Here's certain things we won't. Is it because there's a organized parental conspiracy to deny kids fun? Not that I'm aware of. It's about parents wanting the very best for their kids, wanting to put some, some guardrails up, wanting to put some, some rules and regulations or some heart uh, in place to say, follow these things and you'll do well in school. You'll do well in the home. You'll do well in following after God. It's for our good, God says. So it's not, oh, I have to grudgingly follow what God says in his word. It's, I get to obey. I get to follow what he's laid out because God's God and I'm not. He knows the best way for you. And he knows the best way for me. Let us keep. Let us observe. Let us follow his words, his instructions. He wants to bless. He wants to protect. But he desires that we would obey. What are a handful of actions God desires? He's wanting to prepare the Israelites as they get ready to make their way into the promised land. God says, I've got some blessings I'm ready to give and to bestow upon you. But let me remind you, here's some things. You want to know what I desire? You want to know what I want to be a part of your life? Fear me, not in terror, not being afraid of me, but have an awe and a reverence and a respect for me. He says to walk in all of his ways, to seek him, to follow him, to imitate who he is and what he does. 
He says to love him. Love him wholeheartedly. Love him unconditionally. It's the choice you and I can choose to love. And he says, serve him. Serve him with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Don't serve anyone. Don't follow after anyone else. And he says, keep, observe, obey my commands. Do what I say. Follow what I've given, instructions I've given to you. When you and I follow these actions, we see that God's got a lot in store for you and a lot in store for me. 